The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and with me is my co-host. She is cooler than Count Dooku wearing Snoke's robe. It's Lindsay. (laughs) And as always, appropriate expectations are set. You know, you got to have standards, and we have standards (laughs) here on the Clashing Sabers podcast. And along with those standards, we have some guests. We have the... Gentlemen, I'll say gentlemen, from Tatooine Sons on with us. Woo! Howdy. Howdy. <laughs> so, so pleased to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you guys for coming on. I uh, I mean, we talk on Twitter all the time, and Absolutely. so it's nice to actually connect in person, or as close to in person as we can get right now <laughs> until right. celebration. Um, in podcast world, this is as close as it gets. Exactly, right? So. right? It's like our, my internet friends are better than my real friends. <laughs> <laughs> You want to know what's funny? I thought about this. I think about this a lot. Um, so everybody from Classic Sabers is going to be, they're going to be my groomsmen at my wedding. And um, I've only met one of them in person. So, uh, Oh, that's cool. That's crazy. <laughs> I absolutely love that. <laughs> so it's going to be like, I, I would joke that we're going to get buttons and everything. And it's going to be the Clashing Sabers convention 2020. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> And I'm actually probably going to do it. But that's other news for a year away. <laughs> so, One of those fun jokes that's totally and completely true and accurate. Oh, yes. No, absolutely. Hey, I am going to get Star Wars in there however I can. I've already got the lightsabers, so we're good there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. Uh, and how does your fiance feel about that? About the lightsabers? Just the whole Star Wars theme you're working in. Uh, I mean, she's going to shut down most of it, (laughs) but she's dumb enough to marry me. So I'm not going to argue with her. Um, that's as far as I'm concerned. No, like she's cool with like, um, we're going to sneak little things in there. Like there's a, I can't remember exactly what it says, but there's a sign that basically says like, sit on whichever side you want. Uh, you know, it's all one family and, but it's in Yoda, uh, speak. And so we're going to get that. And then, uh, we're going to have the lightsabers there and. You know, we're going to have some uh, people from the Saber Martial Arts Foundation who are going to be there. So, you know, a lightsaber duel may just end up erupting. <laughs> yeah, I want to figure out something for us to do, like, as the groomsmen to, uh, like, have Star Wars but not be, like, obnoxious about it. And so... Right. I've got... So you're not going to go, like, dress... they're not going to be dressed as stormtroopers. No, but I would do it if I was allowed. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same way in our family. The three of us... Um, are like all in on every, I mean, obviously on everything Star Wars and that's all we talk about. And then, you know, my wife, Christy, she's just kind of like, yeah, that's great. You know, so that's uh, how my family is when people ask if, you know, I have a twin sister and everyone's like, oh, is, is she as into it as you are? I said, no, well, well, she accepts me for who I am. We'll say that. <laughs> yeah, and that's the best we it. can ask for, right? Yeah, that's cool. And it's it's cool for us because we're coming back on celebration, like we all know. And and uh, that was where, like, it 
I think that Sam and Nate's um, fandom went into hyperdrive yeah. um, at, yeah, at yeah, celebration. Totally. So um, we're we're really excited to get back over there. Yeah, and I mean, God, I'm so 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 upset with myself that I'm not going to be able to make it this year. But I'm super excited for just hearing everything that's going to happen. I, I feel like Celebration Anaheim was probably like the biggest one because of The Force Awakens. But with everything coming, this might be like the biggest celebration of all time. There's a lot of stuff happening for sure. So definitely. And I feel like the lottery is gonna help like a lot of people get a a much better experience and, and yeah, get an opportunity. Everyone's got a fair shot because uh twenty seventeen you know, people were still camping out overnight and they didn't even get into the main stage. So it didn't even really matter how late you stayed up. There was still a pretty good chance you weren't going to get in. So in this, so with this, you know, there's an equal chance for everyone. So I like that. And you don't have to, you know, stay up all night. So (laughs) you can sleep for now. I think that's probably a good reason why people were upset with Orlando. They were just all really tired and hungry. That's what it That's was. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and they were sitting on concrete floors for, for 14 hours. Know, most of the morning and everything. Yeah. Oh, no, thank Could you. have been better. So I feel like this year is going to be better. So I'm excited. At, at the very least, they're putting in the effort to make it better. That's true. And that's much appreciated, uh, even from somebody who's not going. So <laughs> <laughs> we, always, we always start the show with uh, a very important question, a very deep and philosophical question. What are you Star Warsing lately? So... Uh, boys, I'm going to throw it to you guys as our guests. What are you Star Warsing lately? So now, just make sure. We are, we're talking just general Star Warsing just lately. general not, Star Wars. We're not talking solo stuff now. Okay, nope. good. I just nope. want to make sure I was on the same page. All right, I'm going to have BB Nate go first. Otherwise, we won't get him to talk. So, um, What am I Star Warsing lately? Um, more research about Celebration right now is what I'm mainly doing for Star Wars relating, related kind of stuff. But... Other than that, not much is going on. It's been really busy, unless except for Dad's birthday is the most recent thing I can think of. We Star Wars that in a big way. Yeah, yeah. Did our own alone little marathon that we created. That was um fun. I'm behind on podcasts. Have you guys recorded about that yet? Uh, we haven't really. We didn't really talk about it in detail. We talked about it on the episode where we were where we came up with the idea. Yeah, yeah. That really dove into Battlefront 2 Resurrection DLC. Uh, but we didn't really talk about it last night because we just had so much other stuff going yeah. on with um, uh, the, the poster. The, the poster that, that sort of dominated the conversation yeah. yesterday on the, this week's podcast. So, But it was a blast, you know. And, and I do – I think that it confirmed for me at least that that the, uh, the Stormtrooper revolution is coming – um, we had a fun little theory we threw in our last on this coming podcast that's coming up on Monday that I came up with uh, from the poster that I think is uh, it, confirming with that. So uh, it was a, it was a blast. Yeah. It was fun mixing all the different media, cartoon or the animation, the movies, and then the uh, yeah. uh, the DLC from yeah. uh, from Resurrection, so uh, Star Wars Battlefront. So it was awesome. Yeah. So well, that's awesome. What have I what have I been Star Warsing lately? Jeez, uh, you know I. I haven't done it yet, but I'm planning on doing it soon. I'm playing the. I want to play the new game mode in Battlefront Two. Want to yeah. get back into that game because a lot of a lot has happened lately, and I haven't been keeping up with it. So I'm uh, I'm I'm trying. I'm gonna see if I can't play it uh, tonight with uh, one of my friends. Uh, try out the new game mode and stuff. Maybe get the uh, it works the uh, PJ outfit for Count Dooku. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Gotta have the PJ yeah. outfit. 
That's Sorry? awesome. I said you got to have the PJ outfit. Right. I mean, what's the point? I mean, if you're not fighting in PJs, are you even fighting? Right. Exactly. <laughs> in automatic loss. <laughs> and they like having the low ground at that point. Uh, they were talking about that campaign last night on the podcast, and I sat here and I felt like a cow staring at a new gate. I had no idea what they were talking about. It wasn't about. even a campaign. Um, it was, it's not even a campaign. It's a game mood. I didn't even know what to call it. But uh, but that's where the dad moment kicks in and these things. So it's well, that's what I think what makes it fun. So. Yeah, I wait for it to be on YouTube and then watch it because otherwise it just frustrates me as I try to play it. Or I text right. Lindsay and ask her to tell me what happened. I think right. the self-awareness there is important, though. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Lindsay, what about you? So, what are you Star Warsing lately? Um, actually, so aside from celebration and getting ready for that li- little tiny fan gathering... Um, actually, Brandon, ever since the last time we recorded, um, Clashing Sabers and we were talking about the old school toys, I actually broke out all of my original action figures from like 1999, right around when Phantom Menace came out. And I've been, (laughs) um, letting my nephews come over and play with them. So I got to send you the the videos and the photos that I have, but it's just the cutest thing seeing them get so excited over the toys that I used to play with when I was a kid mm-hmm. and they love it to the point where now they come running in and they'll come right into the office that I use as their playroom. And they're like, where's the lightsabers? Where's the lightsabers? <laughs> it's That's awesome. What's yeah, sc- what's so scary for me is you're that. talking about prequel era stuff as what you played with when you were a kid, right? And I was an adult and married <laughs> when the prequels came out. <laughs> but you're still allowed yeah. to play with action figures. Oh, don't! Oh, I've got like 15 Star Wars Lego minifigures on my desk at the office. So, um, yeah, we play with those all the time. So, I, uh, I, so, so basically, long story short had this idea for something I wanted to do in my class and my kids didn't react to it the way that I expected. Anyways, I have four lightsabers in my classroom now. Three lightsabers. Yeah, three lightsabers. Anyways, I have a lot of lightsabers in my classroom now. And so sometimes I just walk around with a lightsaber because why not? And (laughs) my kids always, every single time they ask me, why are you carrying a lightsaber? And I just look at them like, have you met me? Have you met me at all? Right. It makes more sense that I am carrying a lightsaber than I'm not carrying a lightsaber. <laughs> so, Dad, let's yeah. bring it back around to you. What are you Star Warsing lately? Oh, man. Um, Other than birthday that, awesomeness. Right. Birthday awesomeness was fun. Um, the the, uh, the thing that I'm Star Warsing probably the most in the last couple of days is this new Dooku Fallen Jedi uh, audio oh, novel. I'm so excited. No, and listening to I was listening to the guys over at Star Wars Underworld today while I was at the office. I had those those guys in my ears, and they were talking about it, and I was getting a little bit more details. I'm so excited about the format. I'm excited about the different uh, voice actors that are a part of it, um, playing out the characters, how it's going to be such a unique kind of a, a throwback to the radio drama uh, era from Star Wars, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. But also also the filling in the story of. 
who Dooku really is, yeah. uh, the relationship with Asajj. Sifo Dias is going to be in it. Um, uh, some characters we don't know about. I'm really excited about that. And then I'm excited about the fact that we're going to be able to get Kevin Scott um, uh, on the show when we're at Celebration. Um, we, we reached out to him, so we're, we're pumped about. Uh, so I'm like diving into everything I can about Jedi Fall, or, uh, Dooku Fallen Jedi. So I'm, I'm probably that, that. That's the thing that, that I'm most Star Warsing right now. I was just listening to uh, Skyhopper's podcast today, and they had a Dooku episode, and we're talking a lot about like what they they want to see in there, and they mentioned that it's confirmed, or in like an interview, that Kevin Scott and Claudia Gray had a lot of conversation between the, the two of them regarding Master and Apprentice and Jedi, uh, Dooku Fallen Jedi, uh, and. Well- that's exciting because there's, a, I mean, Qui-Gon is in this. That's yeah. the story, you know. And so as a Padawan of Dooku, uh, we're going to get to experience that. And then, like you're saying, with the Claudia Gray connection and Master and Apprentice, we're going to see the uh, the Kenobi connection there with uh, being the, the Padawan of, of Qui-Gon. So it's going to be a blast. What's interesting is it seems like, forgive me if I'm wrong, but in the new canon, it seems like this is the furthest back we're going in the timeline um, than ever before. With this yeah yeah that might be so because i don't think we've gone you know this far in, in the new canon obviously they had the old republic and the legends but i don't think in new canon we've gone this far mm-hmm. well and something like some books like like plagueis for example did in legends is they crossed over the movie timelines and kind of gave you a different point of view so like boys i don't know if you've read plagueis but you should definitely read it or, or listen to the audiobook but it crosses over with episode one a little bit um, and gives you some background on kind of how the players get in place. And I think that's what we're going to kind of get from from these two uh, pieces of literature, for lack of a better term. Yeah, so that I'm pretty pumped about that. <sighs> Should be exciting. Uh, Lindsay, I, I have to get your reaction. What do you think about this Dooku thing? I can't wait. I guess it is time for me to finally cave. I know I've been threatening it for years now, but now I'm going to have to get a subscription to Audible or something (laughs) and finally dive into audiobooks like I've been threatening. Um, But, you know, what I'm really hoping is I would love for these stories to be more along the lines of how I see Rebel Rising and Inferno Squad, where they're both great as standalone pieces and you don't necessarily need to have one or the other, but if you read both of them together, it just corresponds really, really well. And each one brings out something else in the other book and has that iron sharpens iron type of, I guess, mentality to it. Um, So I'm hoping that they connect in that way where you don't need to have both of them. It just so happens that it makes it better if you do. Yeah, um, I, I think it's it's leaning that way. And I think even if we just get like one crossover scene or something, or we hear in the Dooku one, we hear him talking about something that Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan did in Master and Apprentice. It could yeah, be yeah. Just something like, like that. Little, little things like that where it's a little bit more than an Easter egg, but not so much that if you don't get the reference, it takes you out of the story. Yeah. I think that's something though. Claudia Gray is really good at working with other people for, um, just in terms of even what she did with bloodline, where she was able to incorporate pieces from force awakens and the clone wars. And I don't think if you didn't get the reference, it made you stop and say, I need to look that up. 
But if you did get the reference, it's just like, oh, this is so cool. Everything's mm-hmm. connecting. Yeah. Yeah. That would definitely be, be cool. Just more Dooku content I, is, right? is awesome in and of itself. Yep. More capes. Always. More Star Wars capes is never a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm going for the more more PJs. More P- I was gonna say. So. I mean, yeah, we I could like the PJ we could get oh caped gosh. PJs, guys. I just want you to Ooh. think about that. We could get caped I like PJs. Mind blown. <laughs> I know. Um, so I'm super excited because uh, I mentioned it. I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned it because I haven't showed up about it for the past month. Uh, but our friends Foden Bead sent me some uh, lightsabers, like some actual um, training lightsabers for lightsaber combat. And so I've been kind of getting into that. And I'm super excited because I officially uh, became a member of the Saber Martial Arts Foundation nice. uh, this wow. week. Yeah. So uh, congratulations. If, yes. I'm, I'm <laughs> of course, good friend Steve Kirk is uh, was toying yeah. with me as they were discussing uh, whether I was going to be admitted or not. Um, and he had great fun with uh, with my tension and, and anxiety <laughs> but uh yeah so i'm super excited about that i i've been working on my saber combat as much as i can unfortunately there's only one group um here in houston where i'm at that that, that does it and my schedule just hasn't lined up and i was waiting for the saber so hopefully i'm going to be able to get out there soon and get some real hands-on training but i've kind of been working on my own with some some help from friends uh up till then up till uh, now, so I just wanted to mention that because I'm super excited, and uh, you should be more on more to come on that later, um, as I actually learn how to do anything, anything at all. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. Uh, before we jump into our main topic, I did want to mention it is our uh, episode for a giveaway. We're doing a giveaway on all of our uh, movie top three, bottom threes that we're going up to, leading to episode nine. And as we switched to our new pod host over the past uh, couple weeks, and we were waiting on things to get rebooted onto different servers and whatnot, um, I know that some people were behind on episodes and, and whatnot. So we're going to continue with the the Revenge of the Sith novelization because I really want I, I got a pristine book sitting here in front of me, and I want to give everybody. Uh, who listens a chance to go leave us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, doesn't matter what it is. Just take a quick screenshot or, or take a picture of your computer with your phone. Send it to us at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com or at clashing sabers on Twitter. Just send us a DM and, uh, yeah, you'll be entered in the contest. So we will announce that on our Rogue One episode now that everything is good to go. And uh, there's another cool giveaway coming on that episode. But for today, we're talking solo. Nice. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. So we are going to take a quick break and come right back after this. You might want to buckle up, baby. You were off to something. Is it revenge? Money. Or is it something else? If you come with us, you're in this life for good. Why not? Solo, a Star Wars story. All right, and we are back, and we're talking about Solo today. And I just got to say, I'm super excited. Uh, I have this thing with solo and it's weird because solo was the first time i ever walked out of a star wars movie not saying that was my favorite star wars movie 
Mm. And the more that I've watched it now, the the more and more like I never disliked it, um, but it's growing on me now. I have this thing where I'm like, oh, I could go watch, uh, you know, episode one. I'm like, mm, but I haven't memorized Solo yet, so maybe I watch that. Yes. And it just ends up, it keeps coming on. It keeps coming on my TV, and I don't know why. Probably mm-hmm. because it's a great movie. So we're going to dig into that today, and we're going to do our top three, bottom three format. And uh, for those of you who are new listeners, what we do is we go through our bottom three things that we just don't like about the movie, uh, three ideas we would uh, change or use to improve the movie, something like that. And then, of course, the top three is our three favorite things. So we are going to start with our bottom, number three. And uh, Tatooine Sons, guys, I'm going to let you guys take it away. What's your bottom number three? They're struggling <laughs> to think of the bottom three. I mean, days. I just really like the, the movie. And, I mean, it's it's been too long since I've seen it, so it's not all fresh on me. Uh, so I, it's going to take me a minute to, to think of something I, I didn't really like or would have changed. Okay, I'll, I'll go, and this will be this will give me a chance to give them a second to, to think. Um, I would say that... Um, I wish that Matt Martin from uh, Lucasfilm Story Group had never told me that he had he knew the basic plot treatment oh. of Lord Miller's version, oh. and and he he didn't tell me what it was, but he says he really wishes he could have seen that movie. And so that every time I watch Solo now, I wonder what they were going to do that he loved so much. So I'll start that as well, like one of my the one of my bottom threes. Uh, things on that. So I, I like how you just come on here and casually drop when I was talking with Matt Martin. <laughs> you know what though? Matt is the kind of guy that if you see him in a room, he's gonna be that with you that way with you from anyway. So yeah. that's uh, what I that hear. Was, yeah, he's amazing. So uh, all right Sam go. Bottom three. One that I, I like yes. is not if, as, or something not you change about the movie or whatever. Okay. Uh I'm really blanking. Uh, it's less, I guess, does it? No. You got one, BB Nate? Yeah. All right, go for it, BB Nate. Um, my bottom three is that it ended. I, <laughs> I, <didn't> want- <laughs> I this love those, it. This was one of those Star Wars movies I did walk out and say it was my favorite and Star Wars movie. And he stood by that and ever I, since. And I'm still standing by that. Um, I just, I don't know. This movie, I just watched it and was giddy i would say for the whole movie giggling the whole way yeah and i just couldn't stop grinning i just found it to be a great movie so it ended and i did not like that that's so cool that's such a good feeling i can't wait to hear your top three then knowing that (laughs) all right sam you gotta have something i keep trying to think of something and then i keep thinking of all the things i like of the movie instead of the things i didn't like um (laughs) I mean, the thing that. What are you even a Star Wars fan? <laughs> you can't like Star Wars as a Star Wars fan. That's not allowed. Unacceptable, right? No, uh, I mean, I'm a huge cards guy and card game guy, so I would have liked. I mean, I know this is already pretty long in the movie, but more Sabak. I mean, I guess it's not that big a deal. Didn't make much of a difference to me, but I just liked the Sabak game, so I would have liked to see more of it. But that's that's just me. So. No, but see, I don't think it is just you because I think one of the cool things about Star Wars is that everything feels so built out. And there really is such a great amount of detail that goes into every single little thing. So for a game that's 
incredibly important to the whole point of the story. I think that's a really good point. It would have been awesome to see a little bit more of the game, either get more detail on how it's played or just get more of that high stakes, risky feeling that came with it every single time they played. So I I don't think it is just you. I think that's a really good thing that uh, we could have changed about the movie. Thank you. Another thing, though, that I thought was interesting was they actually there are legitimate rules to that game. Yeah. Um, we watched the bonus features and they they got brought in a professional card player to teach the actors how to play Sabak while they were uh, so when they're film, filming it felt real. So they were playing legitimate oh. games of Sabak. That's cool. That is really cool. You see, and and getting more stuff like that, or even like. Han playing Sabacc in Most Wanted, uh, just so you, you could kind of see just just more of it. We've heard so much about it for so long, and then it, it kind of just got... It was important to the story, but I do feel like kind of got pushed to the side a little bit too much uh, behind Lando and his cheating and everything, and then, and then they just stuck it at the end to, to get Han the Falcon. And I like the scene, but... I was kind of let down with Sabak. I'm not going to lie. So that was a good one. All right, Lindsay, go ahead with... So so we're teaming up on this one, and I'm going to let you take this number three because that was your big one. Yeah, so I guess it kind of goes along with the Lord and Miller treatment because my bottom three, my very last thing, isn't even so much what I would change about the movie, but it's more on the Lucasfilm part where... I would describe it really as the opportunity cost. So by telling this story, what did Lucasfilm actually decide not to do? Because as much as I enjoyed the movie, I'm still kind of in that camp of, I don't really get why we had it. You know, of all the origin stories that we could have gone into a little bit more, this was never really the one that I thought we needed I would have been really interested to see if they hadn't done Solo, what would they have done instead? And then even a little bit deeper, like we were saying, if they had done Solo the way that they originally planned, what could that have been? Instead, they almost burned bridges with different directors, different creative minds. They rushed this movie into theaters so that they still had that release date that didn't really seem to work and maybe burn bridges with a few audience members. Um, but I would have loved to see what they would have done if not solo and love to have seen what would have happened if Florida Miller stuck around. I think the mm-hmm. biggest thing that bothers me with the, the release date is that Mary Poppins pretty much flopped. You know, yeah. it, it was it, it was all set aside to have Mary Poppins return be that December spot. And yeah. have you heard anybody talk about Mary Poppins Returns? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no. seriously. I mean, is that is that why they pushed it? I was yes. wondering if it was even because of um, Aquaman. No, uh, uh-uh. no, Aquaman no, was actually, like June, July, and Endgame came out, or not Endgame, uh, Infinity War came out like April, and then Solo came out like two or three weeks later. Pablo took the Twitter when Mary Poppins Return was in the theaters and the box office returns were coming out and he, he listed the box office returns and then he compared it to what solo did in May. And he said, you can 
Uh, we'll always have to wonder what would have been had it Disney not chosen Mary Poppins Returns or something like that. He basically confirmed that from their perspective, the reason was uh, they wanted that slot for Mary Poppins. So that was oh, a that's such a shame. Yeah. Yeah. This- and it's it's so weird because we were always for years. We had the May releases for yeah. Star Wars. And when they first switched it over to December, it was almost a little jarring and it felt a little off. But even in just a few short years now, I'm so used to having that Star Wars is in December and I'm reserving December for this. Right. So to all of a sudden be jolted back to May, it just felt really off for me. And I think for more fans who don't really keep up with the timeline or really understand exactly what's going on, they just know there's a Star Wars movie in theaters. I think a lot of people missed the boat on this who would have really enjoyed the movie. I agree. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm on a ton of Facebook groups, Star Wars Facebook groups, and at least once a day, I see somebody saying, I watched Solo for the first time. It was really great. They should make a sequel. Yes. Yes, they would have if you had gone and seen it at the theater. (laughs) Only you said this a year ago. Right. It would have been great. So, okay, so we have Solo and Rogue One as our anthology films, both with uh, well-recorded director issues, both with a lot of reshoots and and, and stuff. Uh, So there, of course, is... The mysterious Rogue One cut uh, that we we know about because of all the the missing trailer stuff. And then there is the Lord and Miller solo cut. So if you could have one or the other, which one do you go with? Do you take the Rogue One cut or the solo cut? Easily the solo cut Yeah, for me. Definitely. Same Sam. Solo cut. (laughs) Yeah, the look on Matt's face when he told us about that was one of such a missed opportunity. Right. Um, and so he was, he basically said it was, a um, the, the relationship between Han and Chewie was the primary storyline in that version. And he says he really wishes to, he would have seen what it was. So that would have been amazing. Lindsay, what about you? Yeah, I would have to go with solo just because for me, it's a lot of the tone also, you know, rogue one, great movie. Don't get me wrong. But you do not come out of it feeling giddy by any means. <laughs> no, no. <definitely laughs> if I'm going to see another version of Star Wars, I want to feel giddy about it. <laughs> right. That's fair. Well, That's I'm going to be the outcast. I would take the Rogue One cut. Interesting. I really, really yes. And you love Rogue One. I know, I know. I just really want to know what the other version of Rogue One is. Because two versions of Rogue One is better than one. Make ten men feel like a hundred. <laughs> I mean, I think we call that Rogue Two. Yes, <laughs> it's really weird. It'd be like Lion King one and a half. We'll do Rogue one. Yeah. And a half. Exactly. I'm reading one of the X-wing books right now, and they have a pilot that's Rogue One. It's I'm pretty sure it's Wedge, uh, but it's really weird reading Rogue One and it not being about Rogue One. It's very unsettling. But I, I mean, overall, I like Solo and. Now, but now you got me thinking. Now I'm second guessing myself because more solo and chewy would be, would be great. Anyways, moving on to our number two. What's your number two? And, and if you guys want to combine some of yours, so that not everybody has to come up with one on the spot, feel free to do that. What's your your number two? Like, eh. Well, they've got the, they've got the juices flowing. They just both indicated they have another number two. So I'll go first, and then they'll share. Awesome. I um, would say. Um, I, I, 
and, and Sam and Nate may not be ready to hear this, but I'm not, I'm not really thrilled um, with the way that Han Solo got his name. It just felt like it was thrown really? in there uh, to be kind of humorous and stuff. I mean, I love the idea of Han Solo having that, that I don't know where I come from background. Um, I don't have a last name type of thing, but for somebody to just it, throw it in there and, and, you know, dub him Han Solo. And that's how he got his name. I, I don't know. I could have done without that. See, I think that that gets kind of, or it gets kind of lost that he does mention having a family though. So it's, it's more like the, it makes you wonder why, you know, what happened? Did he, did he, did his parents die? Did he get abandoned? Did he run away? You know, he obviously was old enough to remember his dad working on the shipyards, which means he should be old enough to remember his last name, you know? So I don't love the way that he got his name. I think it was kind of, like you said, it was kind of tongue in cheek and, and to get a laugh that didn't really get a laugh at all. Um, and so it kind of becomes cringy, but it does that combined with the, the scene with him and Lando and the Falcon does kind of, uh, make you wonder and wonder if we're going to get any more solo content. I hope we do. I think God, they, I hope so. they originally intended to, uh, from the way that the movie went. So, uh, let's hope that we can finally someday get to see what that is. So, all right, boys, go for it. Um, mine was that L3 died. I think that she was in there. I, I mean, she didn't die. I mean, all know that she's in the Falcon and all that kind of stuff, but I, she was a fun character to have. And I think it brought a lot to the Falcon itself, uh, with the personality that you see in the home throughout the whole movie is mainly L3 is that's just part of the character that I really enjoyed was L3 and then she died. I mean, I wasn't like, there wasn't much from this movie I didn't like or wanted to change. That was just one of the things I was like, mm, I mean, I'm not heartbroken over it, but I would have liked to have seen her live longer. <laughs> have you guys read the novelization or heard about what they did with L3 in the novelization? Uh, I read part of it, but then we moved. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sort of back into the library, so... Yeah, you definitely should pick it up. It's it's one of the better novelizations, but I mean, this is not really a spoiler. They kind of go into her mindset as she is becoming one with the Falcon, and oh, that's a go into the psychology, and, and you know, her because she is all about droid independence, trying to resist it, but then battling with it, the idea oh, yeah. of this being a bigger calling, and she could do more good or or whatever, and. For a character that I was looking forward to that I didn't, I just was kind of indifferent about, um, I really liked what they did with her in the novelization, and it's it's added a lot to to me seeing her in the film. And it's interesting, too, because at the in the novelization of The Last Jedi, at the end, during the Battle of Krayt, there's a sequence where there's different computer uh, uh, AI uh, minds within the Falcon that are having a discussion at one point. Um, and they're talking about it. And I, and one of them is like, they talk about it using off color jokes and, and stuff like that. And so I reached out to Jason Fry on Twitter and asked him, um, if he had actually planted L3's character in the last Jedi novelization, which came out in March before the movie had ever come out. 
he was like, he said that that was, that was a, a, com, a conversation that they had and that's what he did. So um, cool. I love the fact that, that, that the L3 mindset is in the Falcon. And I have a feeling we're going to see that play itself out some way yeah. uh, in episode nine. Oh yeah, absolutely. You got Lando in there. I think yeah. I want to say it was Skyhoppers, but I, I could be, could be off on that. Um, one of the shows that I listened to mentioned like Lando just walking by the Falcon and touching and saying, hello, old friend. And just something oh, okay. sly like that would be totally, totally cool. For a character that was very reviled, the only part I didn't like about all three was that scene in the with her and Kira where they're just talking about their, their boy interests. It just seemed... Kind yeah, that was... It was yeah, weird. It was yeah. I mean... I'm cool with love in any format, but like it just was not. It just felt out of place, you know. And, and I think it was the only time it was ever brought up. Yeah. If they had even mentioned something like that one or two other times, other than that scene, maybe it would have landed better. But just because it was all of this, uh, it was it was jarring for sure. Yeah. It was kind of just that. What is happening? And then we go back and we never mention it again. Yeah, it's true. And it doesn't add uh, any anything new or really uh, significant to the relationship between Lando and L3. Yeah. The, the, the impact at on, um, on Kessel um, when she's, you know, destroyed, she's killed and then he has to carry her in and they put the, her mind, her, her thought, her, me- her memory into the, the Falcon. None of that would have felt any different had that whole scene not taken place. Or at least that that line within the scene of oh it works you know I think that the Kira part would have been it was important but the other stuff didn't need to be there yeah that's a great point I feel like honestly I feel like it takes away a little bit from the relationship between Lando and L three because it is just weird and out of place and up to that point I had to like more of a brother sister uh, relationship kind of idea with lando and l3 and even in like last shot and some of the ancillary material that we got it feels like they're more like brother and sister you know that like you can you can pick on my brother you can pick on my sister but you know or, or you, you yeah. i can pick, I on, my can brother. pick on my brother i was like wait a minute that doesn't work yeah so anyways moving on yeah. from that um yeah so Hope, hopefully we get again Hopefully we get more solo content. We'll talk about that more later. Uh, who's up? Who's up for number two? Uh, I wanted more Rio. Uh, more of Rio's character because he was just uh, so much fun. Um, I thought it was a lot of a, a waste to kill him off so early in the film because uh, he was just he was funny. Uh, you know, uh, John Favreau did a great job, uh, you know, voicing him over. So I felt like they could have kept him on just a little bit longer. Um, but that's just me again, nothing like huge or like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, it it didn't ruin the experience for me though, but I would have liked to see more of him. I am going to have to agree and disagree with you on that point, but more to come on Rio in just a little bit. Interesting. Okay. Lindsay, do you want to do number two or you want me to do it? Uh, I can do number two if you want to do number one then, because oh, I, I know that one's going to be important I, I to you. I want number one, yes. I, figure, I figured you would. I wasn't asking, <laughs> but go ahead. Go ahead with number two. <laughs> so our number two um, is actually Lady Proxima, because to me, it was just too much and a little too over the top, and that I'm 
fine with because it's it's Star Wars. We're used to things like that, and we're used to new creatures. But we've always had them when we have some sort of buy-in already to these characters and these places that we are. But hers was just too extreme, too immediately into the movie. So for that to be how we're introduced to everything that's about to happen over the next two, two and a half hours, I think it just set a really bad and overly silly tone to the movie that luckily it was able to overcome. But the first time I saw it, when that whole scene happened, I was like, what did I just sign up for? My my issue with the the Proxima stuff is not really even Proxima. It's more just the the overall setting of the White Worm lair. You just like even watching it now on a good TV, knowing that I'm not having any projector problems because I know that was an issue in in some of the theaters. It's still really hard to see unless you're in a really dark room and that's the True. only light coming out. And it just. I, I see the visual storytelling and appreciate what they were trying to do by having Han throw the rock and, and literally, you know, breaking the light in as he breaks out uh, and stuff there. But I think they just overdid it with with it. And then and you just can't you, you can't see Proxima. So you don't really know even what's going on. Like, you know what's going on, but you don't know the setting. You don't really understand the creature. She's not intimidating in any way, shape or form. At least Jabba was a little intimidating because he just throws you to the rancor proxima right you know ducks from the light right because you know and and we were more intimidated by java because we see him throw um it was ula in the pit right yeah i believe so yeah so we see how merciless he is before the main character is you know, threatened by him. So we know that this guy's not to be messed with. So with Proxima, we just see Proxima, you know, they, they talk a little bit about how threatening she is, but they don't actually really show it or give us a whole lot of detail, you know? So I think that's, that's got a uh, part of it. Well, so did either of you read most wanted? Yes. Yes. Okay. That has a lot to do with lady Proxima in that book. Uh, she's, She's more menacing and very, for me, much more intimidating than Jabba the Hutt. Once you read that book, do you, would you agree with that? I would. I would. And I think part of it, though, is because I was able to not even visualize but have a very different voice for her. I think that might have been something that did it for me, though. But yeah, that's the voice a was real- a little weird. Yeah, that's a really good point, though. I think Most Wanted did make it seem um, menacing is a great word for it. She kind of was able to orchestrate how she played everyone in that book really well. Um, but yeah, that's that's an awesome point. Most Wanted definitely kind of redeemed that character a little bit. Yeah, I, I think the the biggest issue with Proxima is, that we're they're getting to is that she lacked the menace and fear that she was supposed to inspire, or at least th- that... A gangster in Star Wars usually does inspire. Everybody stand back! What's that supposed to be? This is a thermal detonator that I just armed. That's a rock. No, it's not. Yes, it is. And you just made a clicking sound with your mouth. Please tell me this isn't your plan. No, this is. I think what they did with Dryden was perfect where the first thing you see is him stabbing an imperial officer right. and just leaving him there and being like you know 
oh, well, it's a party, you know? And if we had yeah. just had something like that with Proxima where they bring Han in and she's, like, having somebody whipped or whatever. We don't have to see her murder somebody, but, like, this is going to sound terrible, but, like, beating up one of the kids or something, you know, like they do to Han. And you're like, oh, right. oh she beats up children. Like, this is not a good yeah. not a good person. Just something subtle like that yeah, would have been great. Yeah, we, yeah. It's it's like the opposite of, you know, they have the saying that you want someone to pet the dog. You know, when you know someone is this good character, or the hero of the character, you want to really quickly early on in the story set them up by showing them do something really nice, even if it's literally just petting a dog. And it's really the opposite for a character like this. You need to show them, you know, kick the cat. Or something like that. <laughs> um, so so it, it's just, you know, you do need that type of buy-in where you're saying, okay, I understand what we're going with. I understand that this is someone I'm supposed to be afraid of instead of that cowering in the sunlight moment. Yeah. Mm, good point. Missed opportunity, but I need to go back and revisit Most Wanted. I'm going to put that on my list. That's a good one. <laughs> well, I, I just, like that one. I just remember her being more of a small time, like me just thinking, oh, she's just like this small time gangster on the planet, you know, and there's bigger fish, but maybe I misread her character in there. So I'm going to go back and revisit that. Uh, oh, are we hit number one already? There's so little to dislike about Solo. We're just like breezing through yeah. this. So let's go ahead to our number one. Go ahead, guys. Who, who wants to? All right. For, oh, Sam's Sam's t- he's pointing at himself. I go. Really go. All right. So we we mentioned this in the beginning, but um, you know I, this is my biggest thing I would change about Solo was the release date and the marketing. And mm. what what I'm saying is, I know so many people who are like, oh, I haven't seen the movie yet. You know, because I just thought it wasn't good or, or didn't really know a lot about it. And when I saw, I mean, it's an amazing movie. And I really wish more people would have seen it and would have had an open mind about it. So that's why I wish, I wish they would have moved it to a different date, marketed it a lot better because the marketing was not good on the movie. Um, so that's the. I mean, the Denny's commercials were good. Right. Yes. Why Denny's? <laughs> like, why did they choose Denny's of all things? That was the first place that we ate when we were. That's true, but aside from that, I feel like it could have been done better, and it should have because I wish more people could have seen this movie and really enjoyed it like we had. Yeah, that's spot on. I mean, I've said my part there. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I almost feel like the marketing, since because they were trying to do that whole retro 1977 look, and it, it looked really cool to people who already knew there was a movie coming out. Right. I'm willing to bet, though, that a lot of people saw that and just thought, oh, they're going back to, like, old school Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I think the – I feel like the title has a, a major role in that. I feel like if they had called it, like, Han Solo and the, you know, whatever, like an Indiana Jones-style thing, I think more people – might have got it, but just solo, I don't know. It it, it kind of makes you wonder, like, okay, what are you telling me about Han Solo? If you don't already know that this is his origin story, it's like, okay, I know Han Solo. Why do I need to go see this movie? Um, and and originally, when I walked out of the movie, I'm like, that doesn't really add a lot to Han's character. I'm not really sure why uh, we even got it. But then the more I watch it again, the more I start to like it. So. 
Missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. All right. Who's up next? I guess I am. Um, I, I'm, I guess I'm the opposite of you guys. Uh, I felt like not really they could have done more. And this may have been where Lord and Miller may have been going. Uh, but I think they could have done more with Dryden's character. Hmm. I feel like he was there, but he was more of just the kind of a runner and just wanted his money. I feel like um, I wish that they ran away from him, didn't go to him, and I wish that it was kind of Han Solo relying on Chewbacca. And I'm, this is where the whole – this may have been where Lord Miller was coming from, relying on each other to get through the galaxy and keep Oh, you wanted them kind of on the run from right Dragon. Yeah, and that would kind of – worked with Han Solo not really paying debts and all that kind of stuff what you would think Han Solo would do mm-hmm. um him not doing in this that in this movie I thought was a little bit uh strange but and I would have preferred for him to have run away but that's just me I guess well I think part of it could be that we saw what happened when he faced Dragon Voss I mean he, he Kira never showed back up uh you know he lost his you know, love at the time. And uh, so I feel like he he was hurt from that. And so he's decided, okay, no, I'm not going to fight like this. I'm not, I'm not going to, to stand up for myself anymore. I'm just going to run because last time I stood up for myself, it didn't end so well. Mm, interesting. So I think that's probably part of why they, they had that happen. It sets up his character for the next time we see him. I think the, the biggest opportunity was missed with Dryden and his relationship with Kira because and and Lindsay and I talked about this on our solo novelization episode when I watched the movie I got the the feeling that she owed him because she says you know I owe him or whatever Um, but I didn't get the feeling that she was a slave and the novelization makes it very clear that she is a slave and and while she's his top lieutenant and he he does have respect for her, her to some extent she's still, you know, property to him and she recognizes that and feels trapped in that and that I think made him a little more of the manipulator and and kind of the the sociopath uh type character who can view a slave as somebody who I I mean I think from his point of view he's in a relationship with, you know, um but at the same time is a piece of property and just that that cognitive dissonance that it takes to hold those two things in your head at the same time became a lot more clear in the novelization when I, when I saw it from, uh, from Kira's point of view. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that was one of the reasons why they didn't make Zeb uh, or, uh, excuse me, Dryden an alien, um, like Zeb's species, uh, from rebels is because they wanted to play that relationship with Kira card and, and thought it would have been out of place. But I honestly think it would have been perfect if they had done it with that, because it would have, just naturally set off your like, oh, what's going on here? Reaction, um, and then you could find out more in the novelization and, and stuff like that. That's fair. Interesting. Um, let's see. Um, I was going to say the marketing, and since Sam's already stolen that one from me, <laughs> so, um, um, I'm thinking, 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 thinking things through. Probably, I'm going to go with uh, yeah, Tandy Newton character. Um, I think that that she did a phenomenal job um, with uh, with Val uh, in that, but I 
would have liked to have understood the relationship between Val and Beckett a little bit more deeply um, instead of just, you know, you could tell that they were in love and she sacrificed. Well, why was she willing to give up everything for him and and to help him get away from or to pay back um, uh, Dryden? You know, I, I would have liked to have understood that a little bit yeah. more. So that's probably since mine was stolen, I would go with that. I'm Something sorry. Else I would <laughs> All right. Well, I am right there with you on that. And I'm so happy to hear other people say it because when I first watched it, to be totally honest, I'm a really big Westworld fan mm. and her character in Westworld is my favorite. So when I first saw it, I I thought the same exact thing. I was like, it. she seems really underdeveloped. I don't really get why she made the sacrifice. And all in all, I felt like it wasn't necessarily a life or death situation. I kind of had a, eh, she might have been able to get out of that yeah, issue moment. Thing. Yeah. And, and may I, but the first time I saw it, I remember thinking maybe I'm just being biased because I really like her character in Westworld. So I thought I could get more out of her and I could get a cooler character. But then the more times I watch it and the more I talk to other people who have this concern, I'm like, yes, I'm justified. <laughs> <sighs> I think the issue for me is that we don't see really why she would care so much about uh, Beckett that she would sacrifice herself for him so that he could be successful on the mission. You know, like he doesn't do anything. I mean, I know we can't have him do anything redeeming or otherwise, you know, Han and him can't have the break and everything, but he just, he's such a, Beckett is such a flat character uh, and just has there there's nothing to to cling on to uh for Val that that makes us see why she would give her life up for him and, and and even why she was dedicated to him in the first place you know like he's the leader and she kind of rolls her eyes as he brings Han and and Chewie into the situation but if if they're in a relationship shouldn't he be listening to her a little bit more and stuff like that i think the whole, yeah, the whole situation. You know what? We're just going to get into our number one. The whole situation with <sighs> the crew was an issue. Um, you had the stuff with Val. Bothers me. Uh, but let's get into the real issue with this movie, which mm-hmm. is Rio Durant. And the issue with Rio Durant is that this movie was not called Rio Durant, a Star Wars story. <laughs> Literally... The first thing I tweeted when I got out of Solo was hashtag Rio lives because <laughs> he got shot in the shoulder. In the shoulder. I thought I, that was a little off putting for me at first, too. And he blatantly says, just caught me in the shoulder, just nicked me in the shoulder because I was thinking maybe an Ardenian's heart is in their shoulder region. Even as weird as that would be, it's Star Wars. I could accept that. Well, I mean, there's a Jedi who's got a heart in his head, so... Yes, you know, exactly. Not, without, not outside the realm of possibility. And Darth Maul was cut in half. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so. so then, I, when I was re-watching it to get ready for the show, he, he directly says, like, he just got nicked in the shoulder, you know, it's nothing big. And if his heart is in the shoulder, he's gonna know it's something big. You know, and so the whole thing just there was zero reason to kill him other than to get Han to fly that ship and and be the one who pulls. But you could have still had him live 
you know, and had him be this side character who is giving Han and Chewie grief for all the times that they mess up and their tomfoolery and stuff. And there's just so much potential in that character. Yeah. The one-liners are great. John Favreau did a great job. The animation is like everything about that character is perfect, except for him dying from a shoulder wound. Yeah, I think he was an under underutilized character. I think he stole every scene um, that he was in. Um, they probably could have made it so he was not necessarily a pilot. Um, and if that was the case, then they could have kept his character involved somehow in the rest of the movie, um, and still had Han. If they have Val be the pilot, it gives a, you know, and then she gets shot in that same manner. Uh, it gives a different reason for her death rather than her sacrificing herself. Um, you know, Beckett never really responds to her death in the movie, um, that much. I mean, he punches, Han afterwards, but then he's like talking about the money and how they're going to be killed by Dryden Voss. Not not much about Val. So put her in the pilot seat. Let her get killed that way. Uh, let Rio somehow survive and be uh, uh, comic relief that uh, counteracts a little bit. They probably felt like they couldn't do that because they needed L3. Uh, to be the comic relief going forward in that from the in the rest of the movie, but um, but at that point, I think I think that we could have kept Rio in it. Could you imagine L three and Rio on the screen I was at the about same to time? Say, uh-huh. between them would be amazing. Dynamite. The opportunity cost right there is this. Yeah. Oh, man. There you go. Rio I lives. love that rewrite though. That you just did. <laughs> that would have been awesome. You get to get a shirt and give it over to like John Favreau at the. Uh, uh, as a celebration, Lindsay, so you can have hashtag real lives like uh, Big Dave Filoni. And so <laughs> there we go. Now we're thinking. Yeah. Who knows? Time. Hey, John Favreau has his own show. I'm just saying. A guy got cut in half and went down a pit, and he survived on hate alone. There's <laughs> hope. All right. So now it is time for the good stuff. It is time for our top moments top things about this amazing movie i think this is going to be much easier for us to get through because we all like yeah. this movie so much so i wouldn't say that there's so many of them it's kind of hard to choose which yeah, one it's hard to narrow it that's down fair like, that's fair all right so why don't you guys go ahead and take it away with your number three well i have so many but they're all on the same par so i guess i should just start out with the uh, final boxing in the you liked movie. that. I did. Yeah. A lot. Um, that was one of my favorite scenes, just with the interaction of Lando. And he's like, oh, I'm going to smoke this guy again. I don't know why he's come back here and that kind of stuff. And the interaction of Lando when he finds out that Chewbacca will rip his arms off um, kind of the same way in Cloud City during The Empire Strikes Back when he's threatening Han when he gets there and then they make amends. But it's just always been one of my favorite scenes when I'm always laughing when I see that scene. So It's beautiful how it's like exactly reversed, you know? You have Han going after Lando instead of Lando going after Han, like you, like you mentioned right. in Empire Strikes Back. How did you feel, though, that it was kind of, to me, it almost felt like an epilogue? You know, it, it didn't feel like part of the movie. Did you feel that way or did you feel like it was more of a solid conclusion to the film? I felt like, a, like it, yes, I felt like it was an epilogue, but sometimes epilogues are needed in books. It's kind of 
make it a clean finish. So I thought that this was a great way to end the movie and made me walk out of the theater satisfied. I feel like it's both. They could have easily ended the movie without it, but you wouldn't have seen how Han got the Falcon. And I feel like that would have upset a lot of fans because we saw what we thought was a Sabak game and we were, you know, supposedly going to see how Han got the Falcon in this movie. And then we didn't, you know, so they could have ended it on that Sabak game, but they also couldn't have. So it's, it's tough. It's almost though. I could see where someone might think they finished filming the movie and they're like, Oh geez, we forgot to film that scene about (laughs) how Han got the Falcon. So let's have another Sabak game. And throw it in there at the end. But, but I love the scene for, from a different perspective. It shows um, something that I think that is a, is a, 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 a really important element to Han's uh, character and who he is. He makes lots of mistakes. Uh, and he gets taken advantage of a lot. But it, you, he learns from those mistakes and it doesn't happen again. And that's kind of how he learns to survive all the way up, you know, to Kanji Club in uh, The Force Awakens. You know, he's learned from his mistakes. He's learned how to talk his way out of things. And and he, you know, he was he was taken advantage of by Lando uh, in the first Sabat game. But he he actually ends up knowing that that's going to happen and uses it against Lando to win. And I think that's a really cool element that we see of Han um, throughout all of the, the the movies that he's in. I'm not going to lie. I think you just changed my perspective on Han Solo. (laughs) (laughs) But he is my favorite character. I mean, yes, I love Han. He was my favorite character growing up, but I hadn't actually thought about the fact that he he doesn't make the same mistake twice. That's really good. Yeah. I, I think for me... The, the hard part in this movie, really more than anything, I don't want to say it's a, a, a bottom because it, it, in the long run it's not, but the first time I saw this film, I feel like we were built up that that Sabat game, that first game was going to be where he won the Falcon and then he just doesn't. And I was like, oh, okay, this is... Not even it's not what I would expected. It just kind of felt like a letdown because I thought maybe we're not going to see him get the Falcon. And then when you get to the moment where Lando is shot in the arm, he's holding L3 and he gives Han the nod that he can go pilot the Falcon. I was like, okay, now I get it. Now I'm, I'm behind it. And just, I think honestly the, the end scene for me, just the setting kind of threw me off a little bit. Yeah. Than anything. It seemed a little too tropical. Yeah. Yeah. A little too, uh, earthy. And, and that's honestly, mm. that's an issue I have with Scarif in rogue one too, as beautiful as it is. And as perfect of a setting as I think it is, it does feel just a little too real world at times, but great scene. Great cool. scene. All right. Who's up? Uh, that'd be me. I guess my uh, number three on the things I liked would be how Han got his name. Now, I know a lot of you guys don't like it, but I I loved it. I loved it the first time I saw the movie. I just thought it was, you know, really cool because he's literally Solo. His, he's literally Han Solo. So I, I liked it. I didn't think it was necessarily tongue-in-cheek, but that's just me. Um, you know, but that, I, I love it, so. Okay. Do you want to see stories of Han before he's Han Solo? Like, do you want to see kid Han? You know, like even before Most Wanted. Yes, even before Most Wanted. Like when he would, as I was mentioning earlier, like remember his family, like five, six year old Han. 
I personally, I don't feel like I, I really would need that uh, to enhance the character or really deepen anything. I just, I like Han the way he is. I don't really uh, think I need anything else. So I you don't I, want any more backstory. No, I feel like this was enough backstory for Han. I really would enjoy a kind of since we've seen Ray and um, Finn kind of arguing, but with the uh, Ray saying smuggler and Finn saying Isabella right. general, all that kind of stuff. I would like to see a book that kind of is the same way of Legends of Luke Skywalker, but oh, of Han Solo. Oh, that, that would be that would be amazing. Yes, oh, because yeah. he he is a more. He's. I wouldn't say he has more ability to have legends put around him because he. Nobody knows about him. Luke always took the thunder away. Han yeah. Solo. People were getting confused if he was a smuggler or a more rebellion general. Or, or yeah. So I. I. You were talking about that, and that idea just came up in That's my head. Cool. I'm like, That's smart. I like that. <laughs> it could be really cool too. You could have it be so, from the point of view of some character who's kind of lived on the seedy side of the galaxy you know gone from cantina to cantina and has just picked up these stories and then finally puts them down on paper and you know he's like his biggest life journey you know his life was all a letdown but he he learned about han solo and that you know is is his big i don't know hurrah is that he writes this memoir of han solo i think that could be really cool that'd be a blast i love it i love the idea of bb nate that's why we have you on this show. Right? <laughs> For the deep insight. That's right. Um, That's right. So I, I think it's really cool that you do have a parallel between Han and Rey uh, in Solo and in The Force Awakens, um, particularly with the absence of the last name and not having people, uh, you know, found family being such an important idea in Star Wars. And I have... I have a theory. I have zero. I'm, I'm dark on episode nine, so I have zero proof that any of this is going to happen. But I think that by the end of the movie, Ray will take up the Skywalker name, and that will be kind of the marker of the best of the Jedi. Um, and just thinking about that and thinking of how, like, Solo could be a name that he took up, you know, as he started his adventure in the galaxy. And Skywalker is a name that Ray takes up. I think is could be a cool parallel. It's not going to happen, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've heard that theory before. It is an interesting idea for her to become, like, take that name on from that perspective. Did you guys? I'm not, we don't need to go into it. I won't share it. But did you guys happen to hear the, the leak uh, of the title that came out today? That's supposedly out there. Did you guys hear what that nope. is? I, I don't. I'm not going to say it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you don't want to. Okay, um, but anyway, no, I just, I, I just was curious about that. That was, that's an interesting idea. So, yeah, could be, could be interesting. I think there's a lot to dig into between between Ray and Han, and and maybe we'll get more of that as we get more Ray stories once the the trilogy rounds out. All right, Lindsay, I'm gonna take this one because. This it. is a big one for me also. Our number three is kind of like our number three on the bottom, the opportunity. Uh, this time not opportunity cost, but opportunity, I don't know, deposit, I guess. There's so much opportunity <laughs> for other stories to be told from here. And I, I, I realized listening to so many Star Wars podcasts after this movie came out, that was like the, the one thing that everybody got behind was there's so many opportunities to tell more stories here and so many avenues 
available with which to tell these stories. You have Maul and Kira. You, of course, have Han and Chewie. You could tell other Dryden Voss stories, crime syndicate stories, um, even even more about Beckett and his crew. You know, we get a little bit of that in the mm-hmm. Beckett comic, uh, the one-shot, um, things like that. But there's just L3 and Lando we've already gotten some content on, which has been amazing what they're doing. I, I think what they're doing with Lando and streamlining his character I think is, is really good. Um, just the, the opportunity to tell stories around this story or off of this story I think are really good and hopefully... I'm hoping this is going to be like a prequels type situation where the more this marinates, the more people are like, oh, God, that's a good movie. And <sighs> years down the road, maybe it, we get more, hopefully not too many years, but down the road, we get some more solo content. I want, I definitely want all of the things that you talked about there, but I also, I need to understand the mall Kira thing more. Yeah. Um, that's like the one thing that, that I feel like Kira knew mall. I feel like with the necklaces and the branding and the Crimson Dawn stuff, um, I think that there's a connection there um, that, that needs to be explored. So I, I totally agree with you. I think there's lots of opportunities. There. When Dryden says to Beckett, you know who I answer to. So right. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's like the most well-known thing in the world, but I think it's kind of like a, kind of how I think of Dooku being a Sith. I don't think everybody knows Dooku is a Sith, but I think the the people who are close enough know Dooku is a yeah. Sith. And I think it's kind of the same thing right. with Maul, because Maul doesn't try to hide himself in the Clone Wars. Uh, he, he puts himself out there on the stage for Kenobi to come get him. And with what we see in Rebels, he seems right. to be trying to find a way to get back at Palpatine. You know, that kind of becomes his motivation. So I don't think he would necessarily be hiding from that either. He would just be biding his time. Yeah. More on more on that later. <laughs> All right. So that rounds out our number threes, right? Did everybody go? I think so. Uh, I think so? Yeah. All right. So on to number two. So you guys go ahead with your number two. Um, number two. Would you guys have yours ready? Uh, yeah, I have mine. Go, Sam. I know this is sort of contradictory, but I'm, I don't care. I'm going to say it anyway. You're a Star Wars um, fan. That's allowed. <laughs> it's I was, <laughs> was going to say the the Sabacc games. Well, yeah, I would have liked more. I liked what we got. I mean, it was fun. That's why you wanted more. So Right. So... I guess it's not too contradictory. Anyway, uh, I, I loved it. You know, I loved the humor. You know, he's like, you know, talking to the guy with the six eyes. He's like, hey, eyes on your cards. You know, all of them. You know, he's showing Chewie his, his cards. <laughs> I love and, that. And Chewie's all, like, uh, acting like it's a bad hand and stuff like that. You know, it was, it was a lot of fun to watch. So that's, you know, why I wanted more. So Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And I think the the way they explained it or the way they showed it made it very easy to understand what was going on. Um because you know in in legends there was like the interference field and your cards could change and there's just so many rules and and stuff and like to this day i don't really understand what's going on with the legend (laughs) sabak uh you know yeah you you get the tension from the way the author writes it but not from the actual card game and being somebody who grew up like i learned math playing cards so you know i'm (laughs) right there for a cards game yeah i'm right there with you i i adore that scene it's a lot of fun all right bb nate um my number two would be uh everything with kessel that was a very fun sequence um 
they're going in from the Kessel Run, and once they're going in, it seems all calm. You're like, what is the big deal about this Kessel Run? And they get on the ground. It's starting to get more and more intense. Um, the droids breaking out, which I found to be a hilarious scene. Uh, oh, it's amazing scene, yeah. Uh, but, and then when Han is going to the vault and getting the coaxium, um, but when they go back up into the castle run, start stuff starts to happen. I, I didn't expect them to go into the uh, Maelstrom. Maelstrom. Um, I did not expect that. Uh, I did not expect the Empire to show up. I don't know why they showed up, why they even thought that they were a threat. They're just stealing so co- some coaxium. Um but the Maelstrom was intense for me. I was And there was the Maw. The Maw and Beckett getting to the fuel pump, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it was just all around a great scene. And one thing I want to mention and that I, I really liked about this is the Kessel Run wasn't a really big deal. Like, Han makes the Kessel Run out to be this huge deal, right? And it's been built up since, you know, 1977. And then you find out it's just a, a spice route. Like, yeah. it's really not a big deal. So I, I just love that. You know, it's classic Han. He makes a big deal out of something that's really not a big deal. So uh, I, I just, that was one of the things that I really liked about the Kessel Run. Han Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. Chewie here tells me you're looking for passage to the Alderaan system. Yes, indeed. If it's a fast ship. Fast ship? You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Should I have? It's a ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. I've outrun Imperial starships. Not the local bulk cruisers, mind you. I'm talking about the big Carillion ships now. She's fast enough for you, old man. Well, and I like the way that they they tell you exactly that, what you mentioned, that Han makes a big deal out of something that's not a big deal because he goes and he right. says, you know, uh, this ship made the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs or 13 parsecs, whatever he says in the movie. Uh, and the guy he's talking to just rolls his and eyes like, yeah. okay, like who cares? Right. Uh, which is exactly, you know, what we needed because then, I mean, we kind of always thought, okay, this – is he re- did he really make this Kessel Run, whatever it is? And, and we didn't know if it was time or distance or what the, the whole deal was. And then to find out it's, yeah, he did something crazy. He did something very Han Solo. But also it's kind of become a, a fisherman's tale to some exactly. extent. I thought it was perfect. I don't hear a lot of people talk about the actual Kessel part, though. So I'm, I, I really like that, you, that that's something for you because that for me honestly until they get to the actual Kessel Run is a part where I can kind of check out so I I dig it I dig it yeah it's a lot of fun um did you share you did you did okay my turn um I um gosh I'm struggling I mean I did we steal yours again I was going to talk about some I was going to talk about that moment with Chewie and and Kessel when he talks about rounding down but I won't do that that one's fun I I love that relationship and how they show that I would say Emphis Nest that'd probably be my number two Uh, I think that that her character was fun Uh, the surprise of of it being basically a what seems like a teenage girl when she takes her mask off and this it's this horrible baddie the whole time. And then it's some kid. Um, at least it feels like a kid when, when you're as old as I am. And so, um, and, and just the respect that she has from her crew and the fear that she has from Dryden 
and um, and and of course Beckett um, and and that crew. I I think that. And then the connection to the the start of the rebellion. That's another story I want told. So it goes back to what you were saying about opportunities. Emphis Nest is a, a huge opportunity that I hope they don't uh, ignore because of um, bad choices when it comes to marketing and timing uh, of this movie. I think people would love to see some Emphis Nest stuff. I think so, too. And they have such a good opportunity, too, just because the young actress who plays her seems to have such gravitas and can Mm -hmm. really pull you in. So I think it it would really be a wasted opportunity if they didn't use her a little bit more. Agreed. Yeah. And I'm not going to give any spoilers, but if you like Emphis Nest and you haven't read the solo novelization... At least read the epilogue mm-hmm. if you don't want to read the whole thing, even though it's great. But the epilogue concerns Emphis Nest, and it's pretty great. You know um, what's funny, too? I'm kind of just thinking of this now. It kind of ties in so nicely to the end of The Last Jedi. Um, and just from listening to your podcast, too, guys, I'm on the same page as you. I'm a big Last Jedi fan. I love being able to give that movie some praise anytime that I can. <laughs> um, but I... Um, I think this kind of ties in with that because one of the things I'm noticing is when when you had actually said, you know, it's this big, bad, bad guy, the whole movie, and it's so mysterious and what a baddie. But as soon as the mask is off and we see that it's a kid, we are immediately driven into, oh, wait, no, that can't be a bad guy. It's a right. kid. And I think it just says something so beautiful about the the innocence of a kid, even though clearly this this young lady is not by any means necessarily innocent or naive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's like you trust her as soon as you find out she's a young, you know, still almost a kid. You just immediately trust her and you know that you were wrong to assume that she was the bad guy. Yeah, yeah I think that's spot on because I think a lot of people when that mask came off or like, Oh, this is supposed and I, and I was part of this. Like, is this supposed to be Beckett's kid? Like, is this some big reveal? And they felt kind of let down by that. But I think the point is exactly kind of what you were saying. She's a kid, you know, and, and you get this idea throughout the whole movie that it's some big, bad macho, like kind of what the Mandalorians were, you know, just big, like take head, headstrong run in start fighting ask questions later kind of guy and then you take the helmet off and it's a a teenage girl but then if you think about star wars like anakin ray luke leia like they were all about the same age that emphasis is it's part of the the story of star wars that the youth will will lead so yeah i loved it i love everything with Mm -hmm. emphasis nest have you guys uh looked at the Art of uh, Solo. Book. I've seen some stuff online, but I don't think we we don't have the book, so we haven't looked at the actual uh, physical copy yet. The helmets they oh, came wow. up with. There's some crazy That's stuff. Awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. All right, Lindsay, you want to take our number two? I do. Our number two. We we started to kind of mention this, but just overall, Maul in this movie. I think is so fearsome and he really got the redemption on, on the big screen that he needed. Um, you know, I, th- I think it was kind of weird for me because I've been so used to after Clone Wars and Rebels, I already accepted 
Maul is back and Maul is a really important character. And I forgot that other people who don't watch those shows know that. So for the next month after this movie came out, I felt like every single day I was answering a text message. Mm-hmm. When does this movie take place? When, <laughs> why did? It, why is he here? Didn't he die? So I found myself explaining it to a lot of people. Um, but once you're able to explain it to everyone, I think pretty much, you know, I'd say 95% of people were immediately on board and thought it was a really cool way to introduce the character, bring him back and kind of put that fear back in people's mind about him, that he is someone to be reckoned with. Um, I thought it was just a great vindication and a good way to open up some other stories. Yeah, I think I, I, um, uh, I love the fact that they did it. And I love the fact that it's actually introduced uh, the animated series of both Rebels and Clone Wars to a whole new fan base. People are like having to go back and and watch Clone Wars, having to go back and watch Rebels to find out what's going on with this character. And uh, I think that they're getting, uh, it's actually growing this, this Star Wars fan base because of casual fans that saw Maul at the end of that and needed to try to figure out what was going on and gave the series a chance. So, Yeah, my... Uh jaw was on the floor i'm pretty sure it's still on the floor there uh at the movie theater i'm like i'm a very animated hyperbolic overly dramatic person anyways but like that was a legit like eyes wide open jaw on the floor like i grabbed my fiance's arm like (gasps) just couldn't breathe it was it was because the it's not just that he's there it's the way that they reveal yeah. him. And you slowly get, you're like, wait a minute. I know that voice. And you know it from the animated show. And then you hear the metal. And I'm like, I know who that is, but I can't. Why can I not put a, a, a face right. to the name? And then they give you the face to go with it. Oh, my God. It was <laughs> I was in denial so for the first few seconds. I realized who it was. Yes. And I was like, no, I can't be. I can't be right. I can't be right. They can't really be giving me this. And like, I didn't want to accept it just to be let down. Well, I think that leads almost directly into Sam's number one from the movie. So yeah. go for yeah, it. So man. my number one is Maul. But, you know, for the reasons that you explained just the fact that Maul is in there, he's awesome. The way they revealed it. I mean, I went through the same emotions. I'm like, wait, that sounds familiar. Then I saw the leg and I'm like, no, that can't be Maul. And then I saw Maul. So I went through those exact same emotions. But uh, another reason why this was so big, uh, why this is my favorite is the night before um, was my birthday. Or the, the night of the premiere. The night of the premiere was my birthday. That's right. And, uh, dad tweeted out to Sam Witwer asking if he could get a birthday shout out for me. And, uh, he, he did. Um, so I know that I probably could have built that up better. Anyway, I got a birthday shout out from Sam Witwer. So that was, you know, that that's so cool. But the day of the movie, it was my, that was my birthday party. I was going to see the movie. So we had a bunch of friends over to my house and just, you know, because we, we had extra to. time before the movies, so. we decided to watch uh, the Twin Sons episode of Rebels because that's our favorite episode. Of <laughs> Having no clue that Maul was going to be in Solo, so when we go to the theater and Maul pops up on the screen, yeah, after- there's like twelve of us. We're sitting on the very front row. All of Sam's friends and all of us are sitting on the front row watching this movie. Right, and 
you know, as soon as that happens, I like turn to my my uh, friend Tristan and I'm like, no way. Like we were all freaking out. I'm sure people were, you know, behind us shushing us or whatever. But like we were just freaking out because not only did we get the shout out from, you know, Sam Weber, which was cool. But we had watched the Twin Sons episode before, not even knowing it. So it just added to the the reveal. And it's, you know, so one, of my cool. one of my favorite scenes, easy, from the, the, and the movie. The best part about that is that when I tweeted to Sam, I tweeted to him and Stephen Stanton, uh, who plays Kenobi, obviously, in um, Twin Sons, uh, plays Ben Kenobi. I tweeted to both of them, uh, explaining – it was actually during your party. We were eating pizza oh, during your right. party. And I tweeted to them saying, we're getting ready to watch Twin Sons. It's our favorite episode, as you guys know. We'd love to get a birthday shout-out before we go watch the premiere of Solo. And and so they both responded pretty quickly on it. And then after the movie, I, I – replied back to Sam and I'm like, you knew exactly what was going to happen at that theater when we saw that scene, didn't you? And he replied back and he's like, uh, yeah, he was like, absolutely. It was, it was hilarious. And <laughs> is so cool. Oh my God. I'm so jealous. Yeah, it was a blast. And the great thing is I I've heard from people who had it spoiled that mall was in there and went looking for the spoiler. Not like it got ruined, but they, and and it didn't ruin the reveal at all. Like cine, the cinematography is just so good. It is in that scene, and everything works so well. Uh, yeah, it's great. All right, this is not a mall episode, no. but, we're, <laughs> but it's it's a we cool can, moment. We need, so for sure. Yes, Lindsay, note that we need to do a mall oh, episode. Oh, trust Ooh. me, I'm on it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Guys so come then, back on for that, more than welcome. <laughs> well, let's just say we're only getting one autograph. At Star Wars Celebration, and it's Sam. So, um, so good pick. Ball, so. I mean, if you're gonna pick one, that's yeah, a good we're one pretty to pumped pick. about it. All right, BB Nate, what is yours? Um, this may be an unpopular opinion, but I uh, think that Corellia is my favorite part of so really. Uh, oh, no, I'm right there with you. I love it. Um, specifically. Because of Most Wanted, I for some reason that book was just a book that I loved because they went across Corellia and they were running away. Kind of what I wanted to see in Solo and what I wanted to happen. But aside from that, I just find the Corellia scenes is very... I don't know how to explain it. It's just I just like it so it much. It feels very Star Wars. It does. It's yeah. Star Wars. The shipyards. Everything just looks like the speeder Star Wars. and and, and a, a, the car chase. You know, the Star Wars equivalent of a car chase. Yeah. You know, yeah. like what you see in Star Wars is um, two sides getting oppressed, and it's not not poor. You see people kind of not living the high life, just not having problems, really. Yeah, like you, see, Luke, you see the Grand Republic. Yeah, the Luke separatists. is having problems with choosing what college to go to while so <laughs> trying to... <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, he just comes up with one of those. <laughs> I just, I feel like it's what Star Wars should be. Yeah, mm. I love it. That's I love how I love how every one of your opinions starts with this might be unpopular, <laughs> but well, you guys, I love it nowadays because it when is it's Star, Wars. Star Wars, yeah, because it is unpopular hey. with somebody, and they're gonna let you know. So <laughs> that, that's what Clashing Sabers right. is all about. Uh, yeah, no, Corellia is yeah, I'm right there with you 100. percent I thought 
that that felt like the most Star Wars part of the film, and and, and that's saying a lot because the whole thing feels like Star Wars. It feels like a, it really feels like a Legends book came alive on the screen, except better because it's live and on the screen. Um, but yeah, Corellia just had a feel, and I think what they did with it, like you were mentioning, with the oppression and everything, um, showing the stormtroopers like just abusing these citizens who are just trying to get onto yeah. a transport or whatever, you know, uh, it that and then add that with Rogue One and what you see with the stormtroopers there, it adds some menace to some characters that kind of became a joke for a very long time, um, and so you get that in the Corellia moment, and you it would have been really easy for it to be like, okay, like this is the part where Han gets away, Mm -hmm. but you're not doing, even though you know Han's going to win the race, even though you know, or the chase, even though you know he's going to get through that gate because he has to for the story to continue, you're tense every single time you watch it. And the relationship between him and Kira in that whole is developed quickly, but in such an effective way that when he gets separated from Kira on Corellia, you actually hurt. You you see the pain Mm. uh, in in Han and the panic, like, I've got to get back to her. And that's obviously even before we have the whole most wanted stuff to develop that relationship. Uh, It was amazing. And the other thing that people don't talk about um, a lot when they talk about Corellia on that is Han's theme and the music. Um, yeah. It was Ugh. it was classic yes. John Williams, and it was it fits perfectly. Um, you know, the fact that Han never had a theme in the first place blows my mind. But the fact that we got it in this movie and it worked so well, I've got a, a you know a 2008 bl- light blue convertible Mustang, and when that movie came out. Uh, I would pop my golden dice from the rearview mirror, throw the <laughs> throw the top down on that thing, blast the Han Solo's theme from uh, from the uh, on my speakers, and drive through California with that thing blaring because and it felt like I was I was ten again playing so- Han Solo. The music was is absolutely perfect in the in that sequence. Yeah, yeah. The that sequence is yeah. The music is perfect. I have to admit that just front to back listening to the album solo is probably my favorite uh-huh. out of all the star wars albums i agree it yeah, just same. wow it you you get a a feeling from the very first few notes that play and it doesn't let up through the whole thing and it's so funny that you mentioned that because every time solo comes on when i'm driving it all of a sudden my truck turns into yep. the millennium falcon and i'm just you can't like like i honestly can't let myself listen to it because i'm gonna get a speeding ticket one of these days because i'm hitting 85 in a school zone and that's just not safe so my problem is and i i say this all the time i wish i knew more about and i kind of had a better ear for music so my judge of what makes a really good soundtrack is i always listen to soundtracks like this or um black panther really anything else that's john williams even Mm -hmm. um when i'm doing work and when I kind of just need to like tone people out, tune people out and just focus on getting stuff done. So I know that solo is a really good soundtrack because all of a sudden I'll be like, this is great. I just got all of my work for the day done. It's got to be five o'clock. And I look and it's like, oh, it's been two hours. <laughs> <laughs> and while we're talking about the soundtrack of Star Wars, I after Han Solo's theme, honestly, 
my favorite song on it is Chicken in the Pot. I think it's amazing. <laughs> I love it. And I know that it's a controversial song for some people, but I absolutely love Chicken in the Pot. You know, the one where there's. Is that singing. on Dryden's, Dryden's Yacht? Yeah. yeah he's on, it was a, the weird singer moment that's different on the soundtrack than from the movie. Uh, in the movie, it's a it's really deep voiced alien. And then the uh, uh, soundtrack, it's some really high voiced alien and right. stuff. But I love that song. So uh, yeah, I, I sometimes I seek that song out just to hear it. So. <laughs> Yeah, Michelle's going to hate me, but i that's the one song I don't like. <laughs> honestly, no, honestly, it's because of just that there are words. Like, when I'm listening to a soundtrack, yeah. unless it's a very rare exception, like like with the, the choral in... Uh, in Revenge of the Sith or or Duel of the Fates is is like a rare exception, but just in general, like even if I'm listening to like a a Lindsay Sterling or something, I don't always like when words come on in there because I do kind of like Lindsay said, just want to get lost, and I always find myself singing along. That's funny. <laughs> so Let's all right, see, I didn't get I, I didn't go, and my favorite scene is uh, go without it. a doubt as a as a lifelong uh, all the way from the original trilogy. Uh, to today fan of Star Wars and my favorite character always having been uh, Han Solo. Um, I Even sitting here, I get chills thinking about the first time that Han sees uh, the Millennium Falcon and he's walking beneath it and the John Williams version of um, the Star Wars theme that plays behind it, uh, all of that. It is the perfect storm for me um, for emotion. Um, I tear up every time I see Han look up at the Falcon and the love he immediately. It's love at first sight. And there's no other there's not going to ever be another ship for him uh, the rest of his life, which, you know, it's even more impactful in Solo. Having seen that Chewie we're home moment in The Force Awakens mm. and uh, him having been separated from it and all of that. Um, it's without a doubt my favorite moment. Yeah, that's a great moment. I think what they did with Han and the Falcon in this movie was perfect. And I've heard some people are like, "Mm, why didn't they just play Han's theme there? Why did they play the Force theme? But I think the Force theme was perfect because even though Han is not a Force user, even though he's not a Jedi, like the Force connects all things. And this is the start of his path to eventually becoming a rebel and... It doesn't happen without that ship, you know. That ship is a character in and yeah. of itself, and you know, to see to see that first date kind of thing <laughs> is pretty cool. First date. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just imagining like that. Han at a speed dating <laughs> thing, and it's like the Millennium Falcon waddles over, and then Chewie, and all right, this is getting weird. Any <laughs> fan art of this or something? That would be disturbing, <laughs> but I'm down for it. I'm sure there's a fanfic like that out there somewhere. Swipe right. There will be after the episode. I'm sure someone will write it. Hey, come post it in our Facebook group. That's all I'm saying. Um, All right. So did all all of you guys got your number ones in, right? All right, Lindsay, you want to go ahead with our number one? You know what? I'm going to let you do it because I know that this one definitely gets you excited. You're too kind. (laughs) You're too kind. I have a man crush on Alden Aaron right (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I'm not even ashamed. It's not even like a guilty man. It crush. would be weird if you. He's didn't. amazing. I mean, yes, I I think you're right, and I'm okay with that. He crushed he, this role though. He was so good. So yeah. good. You know, like 
everyone was, and, and I say everyone, and I'm including myself, I want to make that clear, was so yeah, nervous oh, about wow, somebody else playing. Be, and for me, it, it came down to almost every other iteration of Han Solo that there is always feels kind of off. Forces of Destiny feels a hair off. The novels feel a hair off. And and so to me it was okay, well then it the the missing factor is Harrison Ford. Like Harrison Ford's not involved in any of these things, so that's what makes him, you know, that's what makes Han and being such a Han fan growing up, I watched a ton of Harrison Ford movies, you know, Air Force 1 and and all those uh, movies that he was coming out with in the 90s. So just to imagine somebody stepping into the shoes of Harrison Ford was like, mm, I don't know about that. That doesn't seem like a good idea. And from that, from the first trailer, when he gives that little smile to Kira, I was like, things are going to be okay. <laughs> and then to see how he executed it in the movie. And I think, honestly, it's vindication for him. I know you guys were talking about the Lord and Miller cut earlier, but he is the one who actually went to Kathleen Kennedy and said, like, look, I don't think this is going the direction right. this movie should be going, right? And maybe it was a little too late. Things probably weren't handled in the best way they could have by all parties. But I do respect the hell out of him going, like, hey, I care about this character. I care about this movie. I know this movie and character matter to a lot of people. And him not wanting to settle for anything less, you know? Um, I don't. I don't place them getting fired on his shoulders um, because Kathy, you know, could have told him, Kathy, like we hang out at <laughs> Starbucks on Tuesday. She could have said like, no, this is the direction we want to go. We trust this for the character. And, and he would have, you know, he done the best job that he could. Um, and I'm sure it would have been excellent, but yeah, just the, from top to bottom, there's not a moment where I go, Oh, Hey, that's somebody else playing Han Solo. It's just Han Solo. Yeah. So was the there, what was the moment that you, stopped worrying about Alden playing the character and, and just accepted him as Han Solo when you were watching the movie for the first time. Honestly, it was the trailer. Really? It was that, that smile yeah. got, got rid of all my fears. And then once I got in the movie and I saw it in the setting and everything, um, yeah, I was right there on board. And, and like I said, this was the first movie I ever walked out going, this is, it was not only at the, I don't know where it ranks now because I hate ranking, but at the time it was like my least favorite Star Wars movie. Mm -hmm. And I mean, of course, again, least favorite and still one of my favorite movies of all time. But uh, it was never because of Alden. It was this, the story was lacking for me because I think I kind of went in there with certain expectations um, of, of what was going to happen and apprehensions about what might happen. And it just kind of messed with my head a little bit, you know, and so the story didn't hit for me the first time, but Alden Ehrenreich from the first moment he's on the screen and he's throwing those dice up and you see him behind the wheel of that speeder, just the look he has on his face, you're like, oh, that's Han Solo. And I was in all the way. For me, it was the moment with the thermal detonator. I was going to say, that was mm -hmm. that was the spot for me. Oh, yeah. Was, at that point, I'm like, okay, this is Han. This is totally yeah. Han Solo. We're good. I can enjoy the rest of this movie. Yeah, so. the same for me. That That's one of the best moments in Star Wars, period. Oh, yeah. I think it's great. And how it links up to Return of the Jedi with Leia actually using the thermal detonator. I, 
I, this isn't confirmed anywhere in canon, but I heard somebody talking one time about uh, Han probably telling Leia that story, and that's where she got the idea to pull the thermal detonator. She was just smart enough to have a real one. <laughs> right. And I think that's oh, great. I love yeah, that. that. Yeah. Yeah. There would be, th- we need a Forces of Destiny of that, of just Han telling stories to Leia and her just rolling her eyes the entire time. <laughs> yes, Han, I've heard this one before. <laughs> That's cool. I'd watch it. That's something you find out in a long-term relationship. You've told all your stories after a couple of years. <laughs> right. And he tells the same ones. They so, just get bigger every time. You know, it was, they it just was get bigger. less than, thir- you know, 12 parsecs. It was less than 13 parsecs. Now it's 12 parsecs. It's just getting bigger and bigger every time. So. Oh, man. God, Solo 2 is just going to be him walking around telling stories about how great he is. And I would watch it because Alden Ehrenreich is awesome. Uh, yeah, yes, It was fun. All right. Any closing thoughts on Solo? Do you think there's going to be some a sequel movie or some type um, TV, oh, Disney Plus series uh, to follow up? I think there won't be anything in terms of like directly, such as the the Cassian series is for Rogue One. But I do think we're going to get more stories with these characters. Um, I mean, we're obviously getting Han a lot in the comics uh, and stuff, but as Han, I don't know if we get anything else. The ancillary characters, the Maul, Kira, even Dryden, um, some of those, I mean, obviously Dryden's dead, but some of those characters could pop up in the Mandalorian. You know, we could get uh, hopefully some Emphis Nest in the Cassian Andor series. You know, um, because she is uh, part of the the beginnings of the rebellion. So direct, uh, directly, no, just because there's a lot of baggage that comes with this movie. But more stories with these characters. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Lindsay? Yeah, I think Maul is kind of the safest bet, especially because from what I understand, Ray Park has been doing a lot of training for a quote unquote undisclosed role. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they bring him back for kind of that physical appearance. Of course, Sam always seems game to take up the role again. Um, so I think he is one, the most obvious, most obvious just in terms of getting the actors. And two, there is probably the most amount of storytelling to be done there just because if he really does have his hand in all of these crime syndicates, there's so many ways that you can go without having to worry about getting a heavy hitter back like Paul Bettany or Amelia Clark, Emily, um, anything like that. When is Ray Park not? <laughs> this is true. He's like, he's a machine, oh man. He's a beast. And I also, if you don't follow him on Instagram, you should go follow yeah. him on Instagram. Cause like he has the, gym of my dreams in his yard like his garage is turned into it and it bleeds into his backyard it's great that's, awesome. that's what i'm going to convince what about you guys do. That's, do you think cool. we're going to get any more of these stories or which ones would you really want to say i've all i've often wondered if the plan and i, th- I think we've talked about this on our show closer to when solo came out i wondered if the plan was to follow up this solo movie with a Boba Fett movie um, where you have sort of Boba Fett on the Java side uh, versus 
um, Crimson Dawn and Maul and Kira and having that tied together. And potentially you could have some solo in there um, as well. And then uh, that leads into a Kenobi movie because um, you're on Tatooine and there's there's storylines that weave into that. Um, I think that that all changed with the uh, just the I, I hard to say a movie that does a half a million dollars is a box office failure, but um, it just wasn't what yeah, everybody expects from Star Wars. And so I think that that all changed when uh, they canceled the non-announced uh, movies that they never really said they were doing, but uh, they started talking about how they weren't going to be doing those for a while. I think that that uh, all went away, um, but I still have hope because that's what Star Wars is all about. So. <laughs> Amen to that. All right, so that is going to wrap up our solo episode. We're through four of the nine Star Wars movies leading up to our episode nine uh, release. Our episode nine release, like we have some really... <laughs> episode nine's coming out in a couple months, guys. We may never have a trailer. That's okay, because I wasn't going to watch it anyways. But uh, yeah, you'll find out the title when you go. Until then, uh, you can come hang out with us on Facebook at the uh, Clashing Saber Star Wars community or over on Twitter at Clashing Sabers. Uh, don't forget our giveaway. We have our giveaway of the Revenge of the Sith novelization that is uh, available to you with just a rating and review is all you got to do. Uh, you can also text us now. We have a, a phone number, or you can leave us a voicemail. The number is 832-966-0077. 832-966-0077. So make sure you uh, use that, and, and we will get you on the show. Um, yeah, Lindsay, you want to go ahead and give your plugs? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Miss Lindsay G, or you can find me on Instagram uh, at uh, Full Force Lindsay. Awesome. All right. And Tatooine Sons, you want to uh, go ahead and tell everybody where they can go to see you and, and talk to you and help make Turbis Cannon. Yeah, there we go. Um, I guess the easiest thing is go to TatooineSons.com. That's S-O-N-S dot uh, com. And you can find all our links to YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, all of our podcast stuff. Um, and you can see the video of, of I mean, Turbis the Porg. If you don't know what that means, um, then go check it out and then tweet the hashtag MegTurbusCanon. Let us know you saw it. Yes, absolutely. That's that's going to be the big reveal at Celebration. I'm calling it right I, now. I'm convinced of it. I, you know, I tweeted to Anthony Carboni. Uh, they, they announced, you know, they, they did their Star Wars show. We're going to be an uh, episode, and they talked about doing the show from uh, the floor on Star Wars Celebration. So I replied back to Anthony's tweet about it. Uh, and I said, this is where we make uh, Turbis Cannon, right? And he liked it. So I'm taking that as confirmation. <laughs> that's a yes. Yep. That's a, if me, that's a yes. So anyway. It's just a little uh, little head nod right there. Like, yeah, I got you. Don't worry. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. And <laughs> until next time, Batch 8. Lindsay, Lindsay, that's you. Hi-ho. Say hi-ho. Lindsay. Sorry, I muted myself for a second. Hi-ho. <laughs> All right, that's how we're going out. All right, bye, everybody.
The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use different informational and educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here. <laughs>